It's wonderful to be back in the Lord's house tonight, and I hope everybody can find a seat. It uh, looks like it's uh, pretty sparse out there, but that happens occasionally. But we're glad that you're here, and that's, that's something I've learned down through the years, that just be happy with what you got. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Psalms 142, Psalms 142. And we'll ask you to stand with us out of reverence to the Word of God. And it's just a short psalm. We'll read all seven verses of it tonight. So would you stand with us, please? Psalms 142. David said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knowest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Pray with me, please. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We thank you for your many blessings that you have so abundantly bestowed upon us. Father, we pray tonight that you would just take us and use us for your glory. Pray that you would illuminate my mind, that you would anoint my lips, that you would help me to speak the words that you would have me to speak tonight. And Father, give us listening ears and receptive hearts that we might receive what you have to say. And Lord, that we might act upon it and glorify your name. Father, we pray for those that are sick and afflicted and unable to be with us tonight. We pray your hand upon them that you would touch their bodies and bring healing to them. We pray, Lord, uh, today, Father, especially for my brother who we still don't know where he is or what's happened, but Lord, we just pray that your protection hand would be upon him and that you bring him home safely. And Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated, please. The psalmist David was hid out in a cave. He was running for his life. Saul and his men were after him. And he cried out to the Lord. He said, I cried with my voice. And to the Lord I made my supplication. David was a wonderful, godly man for most of his life. I know he did some things that were bad as all of us do. But overall, he was one of God's choice servants. God even said about him, he's a man after my own heart. And that's a high compliment. But David was discouraged. And I want us to focus on verse four tonight of what he said. I looked on my right hand and beheld, and there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. That's a picture of a man who is very depressed. A picture of a man who is probably very scared and thinking that no one cares about him. We live in a world today where a lot of people express that phrase. Nobody cares about me. But that should never be said by anyone who really knows the Lord. And I, I want us to just look at some scriptures tonight, different scriptures. And I want us to take this phrase, no man cares for my soul and turn it into a positive thing. And let us see who really does care for our souls. 
And we'll just start with God Almighty. God cares for your soul. How do we know that? By what the Bible has to tell us. God created you. He created me. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Aren't you glad that we're a creation of God? We're not man-made, but we're God-made. God made us in his own image and in his own likeness. And he created us male and female. Now, I know we live in a world today where a lot of times, especially the younger people, seem to be all uh, disturbed about whether they're a male or a female. Well, you are what God created you to be, so just accept that. Be a lot easier on you. <laughs> be a lot easier on everybody else. But the devil wants you to think otherwise. He wants you to think that God made a mistake somehow in your life. That God didn't make you exactly like you thought he should. But I want you to know God cares about you and he made you to be who you are. He loves you. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans 5, 8 it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. When somebody will die for you, when somebody will take your place and die for you, there's no greater love than that. And God loves you tonight, and I want you to understand that. Also, God has plans for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God knows who you are. God knows you. God knows his plans that he has for you. Sometimes we don't understand those plans. I remember back when I was just a, a little boy. My dad run a little grocery store in one end of our house. And I loved to get in that store. And I loved to, that back in those days, they had these little books that uh, were carbon paper. You know, you could write on one page and it'd give you the other page. It was sales receipts is what it was. And I'd see my daddy, he had one for every customer because most people bought their groceries and things on credit. And when they got what groceries they were getting, he'd write down every item and the price and he would add it up and put the tax on it and he would give them the yellow copy and he'd keep the white copy. And he had that there as a record of what he had sold and what they had bought. And then when they would come in and pay their bill, of course, he'd mark that paid. But I loved to get one of those little books and sit down and scribble in it. I, I hadn't even learned to write. Because my dad died before I started to school. But I loved that. And there was something ingrained to me about that. And the first two jobs that I had was working in the grocery stores. And I loved it. I went from there to working in the auto parts stores and driving a milk truck, selling milk house to house and all those kind of things. Every job I've ever had had to do with the public. But basically, I'm an introvert. I didn't know that God had plans for me, that he was using those things to get me to meet people and get me to be able to communicate with other people. Because I'd just as soon go off somewhere in a corner and sit down and be by myself. But God knew what plans he had for me. And when God called me to preach, man, that, I thought, <laughs> You got the wrong fella. Never be able to stand before a congregation. Never be able to speak publicly to people. But God knew what he was doing. And he does the same in your life. He has a plan for you. You may not understand what he's working out in that plan. And I remember my dad when he died. The only thing that I had from him was a little New Testament. 
I put that up in the dresser drawer, and I, I cherish that. I really didn't read it until I got saved at the age of 18. And that was one of the first things that I did was went home, scratched around in that dresser drawer until I found that little New Testament. And I started reading that January 6, 1963, the night I got saved. And I read it time and time again. When Francis and I got married, we didn't have a, a Bible. Bibles were not a huge commodity in those days. Usually they were one per family. But we didn't have a Bible. And I was at work one day and a, a Bible salesman stopped in there. And he had a Bible about that long and about that thick. and <laughs> One that you put on a coffee table, you know. And he said, I want to sell you this Bible. He says, it's $45. But I'm going to let you pay for it. $5 a week. And I bought that Bible. And I took it home and Francis said, why'd you buy one so big? <laughs> it's the only one I had to buy. But we kept that on our coffee table for many, many years. And it's, it's up in the closet now. We've still got it. And we've entered all of our kids' names and when they were born and all of them in our family, you know, that born and died and so on and so forth. And we still treasure that Bible. But it was reading that Bible. I was partially laid off from work, just worked half a day. And I'd get out on the porch of the morning while it was cool and take that big old Bible and sit there and read it and let God speak to my heart. And I'm glad that God had those plans for me. God taught me a lot of things from His Word, and he, he still does that. You see, God has plans for you, not just to prosper, as it says there in another version of the Bible, but God has plans for people to be saved. It's God's will. For you to be saved. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad that whosoever will can be saved? You're one of God's elect. You're one of His chosen. And He wants you to choose Him. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oh, it breaks the heart of God when someone dies without Him in their life. For a person to die lost, especially a person who has heard the gospel, who has heard about Jesus and what Jesus did. That's, that's the most spiteful thing that anyone can ever do against God, is to reject His Son. He calls for each, each of us to come to Him through Jesus Christ. J John said it this way, No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's God's business. He draws and He tugs on our heart. We don't always come the first time that He tugs on our heart. But He doesn't stop. He doesn't quit. He continues. But not only does God care for your soul, Jesus cares for your soul. He cared enough to leave heaven and come to earth for you. I know I preached a lot on that this morning. But you never get too much of that hearing what Jesus did for us. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, listen, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even 
the death of the cross. We're studying about that in the book of Matthew on Sunday mornings. And you won't find Jesus resisting the cross at all. He didn't do it. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He didn't fight it. We'll find that he stood there without saying a word. So much so that people marveled that he wasn't saying anything with the charges that were cast against him. He was completing his mission because he cared for you. He cared enough to die for you. We've already quoted Romans 5, 8. God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he also cared enough to raise from the dead for you. Isn't that wonderful? Acts 3.26 says, Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. He cares enough to prepare a home in heaven for you. Jesus said in John 14.3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, He loves you. He cares for you. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit cares for you. And that's one we don't hear a whole lot about. But He has an intricate part in our salvation. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd never really come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has a, a specific job to do. He convicts us of our sin. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will reprove or convince or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Why? Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world, who is Satan, is judged. The Holy Spirit has that distinct job of bringing conviction on our hearts. Conviction that we have sinned against God. I like to ask this simple question when I'm trying to counsel someone about salvation. Do you realize you have sinned? You see, until a person realizes that they have sinned, the Holy Spirit has not convicted them of that yet. But when they realize that they have sinned, and the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but people who haven't heard the Word of God are more likely to think they're not sinners. I shared with you just a week or so ago about the man who told me he'd never sinned. and God's Word proved him wrong. But that's the Holy Spirit's job because He cares about you. He teaches us about Jesus. John 16, 12, Jesus said, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This was right before Jesus went to the cross. He said, I've just got a lot I'd like to tell you, but you can't, you can't handle it right now. How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. I love to read the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit of God coming into this world. And you can just see uh, things moving in the book of Acts. You can just see God being glorified in the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people and bringing them to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You can see the Holy Spirit revealing to the apostles the things that Jesus had taught them that they just didn't grasp and He was teaching it to them. But then the Holy Spirit brings it to their mind. Peter does a lot of the speaking in the early chapters of the book of Acts. 
And then Paul later on. Paul, Paul didn't have the privilege of being one of the disciples of Christ and walk with him bodily. But yet he was saved out there on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus out there. And he became one of the greatest of the apostles. He became the one that wrote most of the New Testament. But it was out of things that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him. Yes, it all related back to what Jesus had taught. But it opened up even about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us more about that than Jesus does. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was revealing it to Paul. And it, it's wonderful just to read those things. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives spiritual life. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's a fleshly birth. Our mothers brought us into this world. But the Holy Spirit is the one that brings us into God's kingdom. He's the one that gives that spiritual birth. A lot of people don't understand when you talk about being born again. I was telling Dennis the other day when I pastored in, in Michigan, a uh, big majority of the people that, that lived there in Battle Creek, Michigan were Catholic. And God taught me how to witness to them. And one of my favorite questions to ask him was, Jesus said you must be born again. Has that ever happened in your life? And most of them would get big eyes and they say, I never heard of that. And God taught me how to share that with them. You see, I tried to share it out of my Bible and they said, your Bible's different from theirs. So I learned to say, do you have a Bible? And they'd say, yes. And I'd say, would you get it and bring it here? And let's see what it says. And we'd turn to John chapter 3. And there it was in black and white. You must be born again. And they would listen once they found it in their Bible. And they would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is still at work. And he's still doing that wonderful thing of bringing that new birth to people's life. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's two different births there. You can't have the spiritual birth until you have the natural birth. But you better get the spiritual birth before you leave here. It won't be available afterwards. He seals the believer. The Holy Spirit seals the believer. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. He seals us. That word seal there, it was the same word that was used of when a king made an official document and he signed that. And he would put a wax seal on there and he would take his insignia and press it into that wax seal and it, it authenticated it as being an authentic document that the that high up official had signed. If that seal was broken, some the one who would be reading it knew it had been tampered with. But you see, he puts that seal upon our heart. It says that we're authentic, that we're for real, that we've had that born again experience with Jesus and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in our life and he seals us. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. What promise? 
the promise that the Lord is coming for us, that we're going to be with Him, that we have eternal life. Not that we're going to have eternal life, but we have eternal life. It's a present possession, and it's wonderful. And that seal, that Holy Spirit, is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance. For how long? Until the redemption of the purchased possession. The Lord's coming for us one day, and our salvation will be complete then. And it's unto the praise of His glory. Now, something that we've talked about in our, our classes about return to the Lord. And it keeps popping up. It popped up in, in the deacons when I led them through it. It's popping up in the ladies' class as I'm leading them through that. And that's about grieving the Holy Spirit. Notice what the Bible says, Ephesians 4.30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Anything that is not godly in our lives grieves the Holy Spirit. It might be a word that is spoken in anger. It might be a, a, an untruth that is spoken. It can be any number of things. Anything, any sin in our life grieves the Holy Spirit of God. When you and I lose loved ones, we grieve. I shared with you about my wife losing her best friend. I don't think she's really lost her. I think she'll meet her again. But yet, it's a loss. And I saw Frances grieve more over this one person than anyone else that I've seen her go through with. They had a, they had a bond they were the sisters that each other didn't have. And she was grieving. But when you and I do something that the Holy Spirit is grieved with, it brings grief to the heart of God there. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one who has sealed us into the day of redemption. Well, what do we do when we've grieved the Spirit of God. We need to be sorry for it. We need to repent of it and turn from it, seeking God's forgiveness. Not only does the Holy Spirit seal us, He fills us and He empowers us as believers. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is God's normal for Christian people. Being filled with the Spirit. That's a command from the Lord. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. I don't have any problem about not being drunk with wine. I've never drunk but one little sip of it, and that was in a church, and I got in the wrong line, and I got the real stuff rather than the grape juice. But I do have a problem about not always being filled with the Spirit. Sometimes my tank kind of runs on empty. But be filled with the Spirit. You see, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, it means that we're in obedience to the Lord and we're, we're letting Him use us and He's working through us. And it may just uh, come gushing out of us sometimes when, when we get filled up with the Spirit of God. We, we were talking in Sunday school class this morning about years ago, you'd hear people shout. Well, God's not dead and God's not changed. What's changed? We have. We've got ashamed of ourselves. We, or we're afraid that somebody's going to say something about us. Well, we ought to be more 
alert to what God is saying to us and obey the Lord. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What for? You shall be witnesses unto me. Where? Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's what Jesus said. You receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. There's a power that comes from God that doesn't come from anyone else. A power to witness to people. A power that you'll stand there perhaps brokenhearted and weep before people as you share with them about Jesus. It may come at other times a, a great boldness to where you stand up for Jesus boldly. At other times it's with a tender heart that you just love somebody that's not very loving. And God uses you to be kind to that person that's being unkind. God works in so many ways in our lives to, through His Spirit to to just help us to be what He wants us to be and who He wants us to be. Acts 2, 4, speaking about the day of Pentecost, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was the sign that, that God had sent, that they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues, other languages. If you study that passage of Scripture out, you'll find that there were people from about, I believe it's 17 different nations that it tells there in Acts chapter 2 that were gathered there in Jerusalem. And if you read on, you'll hear that every man heard the gospel in his own language. Isn't that something? When I pastored in Michigan, we had a, a young man in the church there. And uh, he asked me to come to his house. He wanted to share with me some things. And I, I went. And we were sitting there talking. And he said, I, I don't know how you feel about this. But he says, uh, sometimes I speak in tongues. And I said, well, I believe there's a gift of speaking in tongues. The Bible teaches me that. But I said, the Bible also puts some pretty strict restrictions on it. In other words, if you're going to speak in tongues in church, there should be an interpreter so that everybody can understand. And I, I was very, tried to be very kind with him. And one night I called on him to lead in prayer. And as he was praying, he, he started speaking in tongues. And there was a hush that fell over that audience. And when he finished, there was something amazing that happened. As I was standing behind the pulpit, I understood what he was saying. And I said, Brother Tim, is this what you said? as you spoke in tongues. And I repeated to him, he said, that's exactly what I said. There was a lot of people got upset about that. I, my phone started ringing that night. Won't know what was going on. And I said, now, he spoke and God gave me the interpretation. I don't know, I can't explain it. All I can tell you is that's what happened. And you know, Maybe some people got upset over it. But these people get upset over people getting saved sometimes. God don't always work on our schedule and He don't always meet our desires. But He does things the way He wants to do it. Lastly, the church cares for your soul. And church, I want you to listen to these scriptures. And I want us to take this to heart. This is how the church cares for souls. 
First of all, we can care for souls by praying for them. Romans 10, 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul was a Jewish man. Paul was raised not in Jerusalem, but out on an island. Paul had a lot of the Greek culture in him. But Paul was a Jew at heart. And after he got saved, he writes there to the church in Rome, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He had relatives that were lost. He had friends that were lost. He had enemies among the Jewish people that were lost. But Paul's heart was breaking for them. My heart's desire and prayer is that Israel might be saved. Is that our heart's desire for our friends and our neighbors? Is that our heart's desire for our family and for total strangers? The people who live down the street or the people who live up on the mansion somewhere. We need to begin to ask God to burden our hearts for lost souls and pray for them. Not only does the church care for souls by praying for lost souls, but the church preaches the gospel for lost souls. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The church's mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just in our worship services. Yes, that's a central part of our worship services is the proclaiming of the gospel. But if we don't take it out into the world, it'll never get out there. And I think that's one thing that has happened in our, our churches over the past 50 or 60 years We've depended on the professionals, the paid staff, if you will, to carry the gospel outside the walls of the church. Well, I could speak from a paid staff position. There's not enough paid staff to cover everybody that lives in Etowah. But when a whole church takes it as a responsibility... And everyone in it says that I have a part to play in this and there's people that I can share the gospel with. There's people that I know that the pastor don't know. And you'd be right about that. That's the way the church spread. People went out sharing the good news. Just simply telling people what God had done through Jesus Christ for them. Someone said years ago, witnessing for Jesus is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And you think about that. We're all beggars. We can tell each other where to find that bread. The church cares for souls by inviting people to come. Listen to Revelation twenty-two seventeen. And the Spirit and the bride, and the bride's the church, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Hmm, isn't that something? The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. Have you heard? Yes. Well, let's then go tell somebody else to come. And let him that is a thirst come. If you're thirsty for the gospel, come. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The church also 
teaches and trains others to serve Christ. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. There's that go again. Go ye therefore. For this reason you go. Teach all nations. And you know what? We used to think that we had to go overseas to teach somebody that speaks a different language than we do about Jesus. And that's still a, a very great possibility and a very great thing to do because there's nations still that have not heard the gospel. But you know what's happening? I, I, I read the other day that from every nation on the face of this earth, there are people from those nations who have come to the United States of America. They're coming here. God's bringing them. He's giving us the, the opportunity to share Jesus with them. Yes, I still believe in foreign missions. I still believe in home missions too. I believe in just going down the street and having a mission. One of the experiences of my life that I, I look back on I lived in New Tazewell. I was in a meeting in Knoxville. And there was a pastor there from First Baptist Church of Concord who shared. He said our church had tried to reach a mobile home park. It was back in behind our, our property. And he said, we couldn't get anybody to come. He said, they just didn't feel comfortable coming into our buildings and worshiping with our people. So he said, somebody came up with the idea, let's buy a mobile home and put it back there in that mobile home park and start a church for them. And he said, we did that. And we're reaching those people for Jesus. And I thought, well, that's a nice little story. And I went on back home and didn't think much more about it. A few days later, I was driving, going to work. I passed a mobile home park on my left. I had never been in that mobile home park. It was less than a half a mile from my house. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day and said, start a church in there. I said, what? <laughs> that mobile home park had the reputation. The policeman said that they got more calls to go in there than anywhere else in the whole town. just a few weeks prior to that. There were some men in there dealing drugs. And what I've read in the paper, one of them grabbed a little baggie of the drugs and he swallowed it. The other fellow got his knife out and cut his throat trying to catch it. He didn't get it there and he ripped his belly open, got it out of his stomach, left him laying there in the road and bled to death. And I drove by that. I couldn't get away from what God said. Two or three days I drove by there. Every time I knew what God was wanting and one day I got up enough courage to drive in there. I rolled my windows up and I locked my doors. And I drove around through there. 200 mobile homes in that park. 
finally found the office. And I got up enough courage to go up and knock on the door. And the lady said, come in. And I walked in and she said, can I help you? And I said, yes, ma'am, I, I think you can. I said, I'm Clayton Dunsmore. And I'm the director of missions of Gap Baptist Association. But I said, God told me to start a church in this mobile home park. She jumped up, threw both hands in the air, and she said, praise the Lord. I've been praying God will send somebody to help you. I said, well, I really don't know. She said, I'll tell you what, if you need a place to meet. She said, we have an empty mobile home back over on the back of the lot. She said, me and my husband will pay the rent on it if you want to use it to start a church. And I said, I'll take it. I started telling people about that. People say, how can I help? I told one pastor about it, and he said, you know, do that and I've never done it how can I help you that little old mobile home that they gave us 12 feet wide 70 feet long it had enough trash in it I hauled trash out of that thing for a week tore out some of the petition walls and we made a place to Mobile home manufacturer there, he donated the carpet for us to put down in it. Somebody else donated windows and just everywhere we turned, somebody was doing something. We had 57 people crammed in that little mobile home, the first service we had there. God began to bless. Those people started getting saved. God began to move in that place policeman told me, he says, I don't have near as many calls to come in here as I used to have. Something's good going on, he said. But you see, God knows how to reach those people. We just have to know how to go where they're at. And we have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone sometimes to tell people about it. Do you care for your soul? Do you care enough to listen to the truth? Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth. <laughs> what a wonderful truth that is. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Romans ten fourteen says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? That's a question. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How should they hear without a preacher or a proclaimer? How should they preach except they be sent? You see, that's all God's work. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah said, Lord, who has burnt? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Not everybody that you tell about Jesus is going to respond in a positive way about it. But there will be some who will. I had a door-to-door -door salesman tell me one time. He said, do you know how many calls I have to make to make three sales? I said, no. He said, I knock on about a hundred doors, and out of a hundred, I'll find three people that will buy something. It's not easy knocking on doors. It's not easy sharing the gospel because you've got an adversary out there. You've got the devil who wants to stop you. But it's a joyous thing. Do you care enough to turn from your sin? Jesus said, I tell you, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You leave off repentance, you'll perish. 
A lot of people want salvation, but they don't want the repentance part. They go together. They're inseparable. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Why? That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Do you care enough to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You've heard these verses over and over again. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever, and you're a whosoever and I'm a whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that wonderful? Do you care enough to fear God? Luke 12, 5. Jesus says, I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. That's the only person we're to fear. It's God. God cares for you. You may be like David, saying nobody cares for my soul. But I want to guarantee you, God cares for you, Jesus cares for you, the Holy Spirit cares for you, the church cares for you. Do you care? That's the question. Let's pray together, and brother, would you come with the hymn of invitation? Father, we pray your will be done in each of our hearts tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and you care for us. And Father, that soul that is here tonight in this building, or that one maybe that's watching via Facebook or listening by radio, that you have spoken to their heart. May they realize that you care about them. Jesus cares about them. The Holy Spirit cares about them. And that we as the church care about them also. And help them to turn to you and trust you as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.